0: Hey, my name is Pastor Brad. You have a bulletin that has an outline in it. I want to invite you to take that out. You see where it says God Answers on the top of it. And um, we are in a new series called that, God Answers, where we're going to discover over the next month or so the value of active uh, and a growing prayer life. And I know as soon as I say that, that there's a lot of different feelings, thoughts, and emotions going on around this room. In fact, if I can see all the thought bubbles go up over your heads, which I can see that. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, but, but, but I'm sure some of you had a thought bubble that says, uh-oh, feeling guilty. As though you hadn't prayed in a while. Maybe you have not prayed in a week or a month or even longer than that. And so you feel like, oh boy, I, 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 I haven't been doing that and I feel guilty to do that. Others of you might say, boring prayer puts me to sleep. I pray at night and I end up falling asleep. I don't know what to, you know, others of you might be saying, yes, that's what I want. I, I, I want a more intimate prayer life. We need to be encouraged in that way. So, yes, I'm glad. Others of you might actually have a thought bubble over the top of your head that says, ah, a little uncomfortable. What's he gonna make us do? I I, I haven't prayed a lot. I'm uncomfortable when I pray with others. Is he gonna make us pray out loud? No, I'm not gonna make you pray out loud. That was one of the fears that we faced back in January. We had a series on prayer on Wednesday nights uh, as we began 2017 with uh, calling this the year of prayer. And some people were very uncomfortable. They didn't want to pray out loud. And and we're not going to make you pray out loud, but there's just a lot of different thoughts and feelings as I talk about prayer or introduce this series that I just want to put you at ease. And I want to say, just relax. What I want this series to be about is reigniting a passion for prayer in a relationship with God. That, that's what I want it to be about. That you would just seek God's uh, love on you, that, that He is there to love on you, and that you would just welcome that in and find that your prayer life would be that conversation of giving that and accepting that from God. You know, my wife and I celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary on Tuesday. And as i was preparing to be together with her and to go out to dinner with her i was looking forward to it saying that's going to be so much fun to get to be with her and just talk about the things that we've done over 21 years i pray that the same thing would come for you that when you talk and when you pray to god it would be that conversation that he shares with you and you share with him as well i hope that's something that we'll learn over the course of this series as well that this is not a have to type of experience prayer is a get to type of experience it's not about a duty but more of a devotion that we have for God and and it may start with a pattern of prayer that we learn and that we follow but over a while it develops into a conversation with someone who loves you a conversation with someone who cares about you more than anybody else in this entire world A conversation that someone had, that you have with God, who has your best interest in heart. And a conversation um, from someone who wants to see you so blessed in this world. That, That someone also just happens to be the one who created you, and made you, and loves you, and shouldn't we want to get to know him better? Amen? That's what I hope develops out of this. In fact, you know, that was the theme of the Vacation Bible School this last week, that God made you, He created you, He loved you. Uh, We had over 390 kids on the grounds throughout this last week hearing about that message from the Bible, hearing about that as they went all over the campus in different areas and receiving that word of encouragement that God loved. Another 160 workers here, but the best part, is that 71 of those kids raised their hand to say, yes, I want Jesus Christ in my life as my personal Lord and Savior. That's the best part of that. Yes. Now each of them has an opportunity to have a relationship with a God who loves him. That's what this is about. I, I, I just want to remind some of you, God is not out to get you. And I know some of you might be walking into a series like this saying, oh boy, what's he going to do? I I haven't been that close. I haven't been that intimate with God. He's not out to get you. He he, he loves you. And he desires a more intimate relationship with you. So that's what we're going to be talking about. That's where this is going. Let let me share this kind of a different angle as well because um, many of us have seen ramped up ISIS type efforts in the news. We've seen things taking place. This is the month of Ramadan. And um, if you're not very familiar with that, that's why violence has escalated um, over the course of this last month. It's the ninth month on the Islamic calendar, which this year falls from May 26th to June 24th. And um, during that month of Ramadan is when Muslims pray more. Is when they fast and they pray. The first prayer of the day is at dawn, and they pray the fourth prayer, which is just after sunset, and they have more of a fervent prayer life as well. It just is not to our God, right? It is to a different God that they pray. And their prayers are for a different purpose. In fact, let me just read this. Um, this is from a news story. Um, it said, their increased fervor is not just to honor the month of Ramadan, it's also to receive greater rewards for themselves. In fact, Muhammad is believed to have preached a sermon on Ramadan in which he said, whoever performs an obligatory deed in this month shall receive the reward of performing 70 obligations at any other time. And a Taliban spokesperson said recently, our fight is jihad and an obligatory worship and every obligatory act of worship has 70 times more reward in the month of ramadan that's why there's so much violence going on over the course of this past month we can expect more in the next couple of weeks till the end of july 24th when it's taking place because radical islamists are seeking a reward in heaven For the atrocities that they do here on earth all the more reason we as christians need to be praying for them all the more reason we as christians need to be praying for peace on earth not some sort of jihad that causes a holy war to come about we need to be praying that when they seek when they pray when they seek their god that they would see jesus in visions and we've heard reports of that over the last number of years That Muslims, as they pray, see visions of Christ. You know, that's what Saul saw. Saul of Tarsus. There in the book of Acts, sees Jesus, whom he's persecuting. Jesus appears to him, and his life is changed. We need to be praying the same for our brothers across the world. Specifically, we need to be praying for people across this world who are praying for harm to be done in this world. In fact, I love this quote from F.B. Meyer. He said, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. So each of us needs to be offering up prayers of the course, not only for our relationship with us and God, but also to help bring world peace about. And, and you know that's what I hope that our prayer life would be. Prayer life to focus on 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 how we can do God's will here on earth. In fact, let me say it this way: um, I've no doubt that some of us just pray wrote prayers. I have no doubt that sometimes we might finish a prayer and not have felt even as though it connected with our heart and our feelings. We just say it because it's the thing that we learned as a child or it's son- something that we learned in church at some point in some time. In fact, it kind of reminds me of that great scene out of A Christmas Vacation where um, Aunt Bethany is asked to say grace at the meal table. If you know this from the great theologian Chevy Chase, okay, you probably recognize this scene. Take a look. Hi. Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, Oh, great. great. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing! (coughs) Mm. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America Mm. and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, irrefutable, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 That's the Pledge of Allegiance factor that I think comes into our prayer lives at times. When we just pray rote prayers, when we just pray prayers that we've learned before, without much feeling, without much meaning, and I want us to bust through that in this series, that I want you, pray, and it does not matter how long those prayers are, I just want your heart poured out to God, saying, God, I come before you, and I'm asking you in your presence, I'm blessing you in your presence, that conversation would just flow back and forth, and so we're going to talk about some of that, and let me give you a couple things before we get into the lesson today that we're going to be doing over the next month or so. We have a prayer chapel right next door. And if any of you were here for our 24-hour prayer vigil, you know the great hours spent in prayer that many of us had. And so we've opened up that prayer chapel for the next month. And we invite you to come before the service. We invite you to come and stay stay after the service. Uh, we're going to make that available. Our Crusaders class has said we see the value of prayer as well. We'll move out of there on Sunday morning so that you can have that available for that. And so I'd invite you to come, be a part of that. Even during the week, if you'd like to come down here to the church and pray, just check in at the office and we'll have you come in and pray. We have a men's group that's praying down there, even in the morning time. Um, on Tuesday morning, they asked if they could pray. I said, absolutely, come on down. Uh, and so that will be available throughout this series. We'll have a prayer and a worship night as well. Coming up, and we'll let you know more about when that's going to happen. We have a couple of prayer books that are for sale out in the Welcome Center. Uh, one is the f- word for you today, the same publishers who do our devotion time uh, or do our vo- devotion books that many of you spend time in. And then Max Lucado and his wife wrote a little pocket prayer book. Uh, so these are just one of them, I think it's $5, the other one's a couple of dollars. Um, I encourage you to just use those kind of resources to further your times of prayer. Also, some of you have been asking about this prayer board up here. These are prayers that have been going up since January. If you were part of our prayer series in January, you had some names that you'd put up, and we put them up on a board. And actually, we put them up in the office, and uh, we would walk by them often, and we would pray. Every time I went out to get a drink of water, every time I'd walk by, I'd read a different name, and I'd pray for different people on those boards. And so we repinned those up on this wall um, to have it kind of be a visual for us, but also at our 24-hour prayer vigil. We had more people put up names to be praying for. And so here's what we're asking you to do. In your bulletin, you have a little slip of paper that may have already fallen out once or twice. Okay? That's it. It might be blue. It might be purple. It might be pink. It might be yellow, whatever it may be. Take that out. And if you would uh, just write up any prayer concerns that you have on that sheet of paper, and when our service is over on your way out, we have two prayer walls right in the back. We just ask you to take a, uh, a, a tack out there, a a pen. Stick that right up there, and already from our 8 o'clock service, we had people who were putting them up there in prayer concerns, and we just want you to put those up there, and over the course of this next month, we're going to be praying for those specific things. And at the end of the message, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this God Answers Prayer uh, board right over here. But let me just give you one exciting thing that you can be praying about for our church and for the future of our church. Um, Over the course of the last few weeks, um, we've learned that the Scottish Rite building and property has come for sale. And many of you who have been a part of our church for years know that we have prayed for that. Some people have been praying that for two decades. We've been praying for that property possibly to become available. And so as a board of deacons, um, we are taking that to a place of prayer as the leaders in our church. And I just ask for all of you to be praying for that possibility of saying, God, what would you have us do? this past week we also got a phone call that this property right in the corner here of alpine and uh el dorado street is also for sale so it's almost like god okay when it rains it pours And we are ready to see those blessings. And so we just, as a board of deacons, are going to meet on Tuesday. We're going to continue to pray for that and say, God, what would you have us do? Because we have exciting opportunities ahead. But if you will put those things on your prayer list as well, um, that would be so, so much appreciated. Because we feel like God is up to some interesting and some timely things that will continue to bless our ministry, not only today but for years and years and years to come if the Lord waits to come back for us. So, please, if you can be praying for that, we'll talk more about that in the upcoming weeks. But this year, or excuse me, this week, we're talking about personal prayer. And a very interesting personal prayer out of the book of Nehemiah. So, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Nehemiah. It's okay to go to the table of contents and check that one out. Um, Although, if you go to the middle of the Bible, to the book of Psalms, Go back left, in about five or six uh, books back, you'll see the book of Nehemiah. There are patterns of prayer that we see in Scripture. The Lord's prayer is a pattern of prayer that Jesus taught us. The prayer of Jabez in 1 Chronicle chapter 4 is a pattern of prayer. Uh, David's prayers many times followed a pattern. Paul, a prayer of blessing. But today I want to talk about this little hidden prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1. And as I do, let me set the stage. Here's what's going on. Nehemiah lived about 450 years before Jesus did. And he was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes in Persia. And he was saddened by the news that his home city of Jerusalem was in ruins. And so he goes to, <coughs> excuse me, the king, and he says, uh, King, can I go and help rebuild the wall? Can I rebuild the city? And the king says, Yes, you may. Now, this was after Nehemiah prayed the prayer that we're going to talk about here today. And so Nehemiah goes back, and in the course of time, he rebuilds those walls, he rebuilds the city, but he comes back and he sees that the city is in good shape, but now the people are not. The people are in a mess. And so, rather than get discouraged, he calls them to a place of repentance and says, we can do this. But it seems as though everywhere Nehemiah goes, he meets opposition and persecution and slander and ridicule, but he has the power to lead the people in rebuilding the wall, and how he does that is what takes place here in Nehemiah chapter 1. So the first couple of verses talk about how he's approached by one of his brothers and some other men for him to come back to Judah, and so he begins to question, uh, Nehemiah begins to question them about what's going on in his homeland in Judah and Jerusalem, and here's what it says in chapter 1 verse 3. It's on your outline, or it's on the screen, or it's in your Bibles. <coughs> Here's what it says. They said to me when I asked them, the remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed <coughs> Excuse me, by fire. So he says it's all in disarray. Verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued, here it is, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Fasting and praying, fasting and praying. And you know, so many times circumstances will come our way when we feel like we have to step out there and take action, when really we just need to step back and stop. In fact, I thought about titling this message, don't just do something, sit there. Which is really what we need to do. That, that's a lesson in and of itself. Is instead of just running out and trying to do things that only God can do, is to sit there and begin to pray First. Begin searching to him, saying, God, this is not done in my power. This is done in your power. And so I pray to you first. In fact, I love the words that John Bunyan said. I shared this back in January as we started the new year um, of prayer where he says this. He says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And that is such a valuable lesson for us that let's not just run out and try and do this on our own. You can do more after you have prayed, but until you have prayed, you cannot do any more. We start with prayer. And, and some of you, I know, are facing some pretty heavy issues. I mean, there are some child custody issues taking place in here, there are some court cases that some of you are trying to work through, and there, there are some health concerns that some of you have, or maybe the health of a loved one that you care about very deeply. Maybe you're facing some issues within your family, with a marriage that you've been struggling, it's hard, it's difficult, maybe it's a job situation, maybe it's being laid off from work, maybe it's financial difficulties you've been going through, maybe it's something within your housing, a situation, and you're just kind of unsettled, maybe it's addictions that you're facing, and each of us faith, we have our own demons that are tempting us with addictions throughout this entire life that we live, we face those types of things, my question is, have you prayed about them? And most of you, if I asked you that, would probably say, well, yeah, I, I prayed. Yeah, I prayed. No, have you really prayed about them? Have you done the, the Nehemiah type of prayer about them where you're, you're deeply moved and you mourn and you fast and you pray? Have you sat down? Have you laid down on your knees or laid flat on your face and say, God, I come to you not on my own power, but on yours. I need help. And Only you can bring me to that place. Have you wept? Have you mourned? Have you fasted? Have you prayed? You know what? When the service is over here, we're going to open up the altar, and we're just inviting anybody who wants to come. If you say, you know what? I haven't prayed in that sense. I want to come and pray. After the service, you can pray in the prayer room as well. We encourage that. We want just a spirit of prayer to be in this place, to say, God, we are dependent upon you. Remember the quotes. In fact, would you read this quote with me? Read it with me. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. All right, let me give you a pattern here now what Nehemiah does. As he even follows that line of thinking here, Nehemiah, top of your outline, starts with worship. He starts with worship. Here's a biblical pattern for powerful prayer. Because what worship does is it replaces despair with a sense of hope. It replaces despair with a sense of hope. Look what it says in verse 5. Nehemiah says, "O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep His commandments. You see what he's doing there? What Nehemiah is doing, he's taking his focus off of the problem and he's putting it on to who? He's putting it on to God. Yeah, saying, God, let me take this focus off of what I'm doing down here and what the issue is. Let me put it back up on you. And you know, that's the kind of prayer that Jesus offers as well. Remember the Lord's Prayer, the very first line? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, let me get my focus upon you. See, what we need to start to do more of is put our focus upon God and how great he is, not how great our problems are, even though they might feel that way and i guess my question is are you more focused on the mountain or are you more focused on the one who can move that mountain and what happens is most of us come to a place of prayer and we talk too much about the issue that god already knows about instead of starting with a place of worship and saying god i worship you for being this kind of god god i worship you for being the one to answer all this god i worship you for being the one that will take this into a place that I don't know about but you do. It takes the focus off of the problem and it places it onto the one who can solve the problem. You know, it's why we want you to come early on Sunday mornings so that you can be a part of those opening worship songs. If you just come in and all of a sudden you sit down and the word of God's opened, God hasn't gotten to to your heart yet. He hasn't gotten you in a sense of of praise and worship and focus not on what you walked in here with, but on what he wants to do with you. In fact, I want to challenge you to come early for the next month. Start a habit. Maybe even going into our prayer chapel before you come in here. To get your mind focused on him, saying, God, I'm here to be led, to be taught, to come before you with what you have to speak to me. Begin with a place of worship. Secondly, it's to move into confession. Nehemiah moves to confession, which what that does is it replaces guilt with grace. Replaces guilt with grace. Look what happens here in verses 6 and 7. It says, hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. You know what he's doing there? Here's what he is doing there. He is taking responsibility. He's not blaming other people for the place that his land had gotten. He's he's going to God and saying, God, it's me. I've done wrong. I'm not blaming the Democrats for what they do. I'm not blaming the Republicans for what they do. It's not about a liberal issue. It's not about a conservative issue. God, it comes back to me. I'm a part of the issue. I'm a part of the problem. I'm confessing that to you now. And he's looking in the mirror, and he's claiming responsibility for the way that prayer was taken out of school in the 70s, and we don't have prayer in public school today. He's looking in the mirror, and he's praying. Uh, excuse me, that was the, that was the 50s. Abortion was, was legalized in the 70s. And he's claiming responsibility and saying, God, that's come from us, that we have not prayed enough, that we have not done right in this land that has brought that kind of thing about. He's not blaming it on other people. He's taking responsibility for not buying into the law that's okay to sleep together, that it's okay to live together before we're married. He's not trying to say, well, they taught, my parents taught me that. No, he's saying, my father and I, we claim responsibility. And we're confessing that to you now. I'm a part of the wrongdoing. You know, when you approach God, it's good to just get that out. In fact, I don't doubt. I've done this as well. That sometimes I don't want to pray because I feel guilty. And I feel guilty either for not having prayed or I feel guilty for the things that I've done and I don't feel like I can come to God and so I'll just go my own merry way. What Nehemiah demonstrates for us is come with a sense of confession. Get that out, get that open and say, God, I am sorry. And I take responsibility. I'm not blaming that on anyone else, I'm blaming it on me. I take responsibility. And watch how God just opens your heart. Don't, don't come to God with this, you know, excusers and accusers club. It's them, it's them, it's them, it's them. God, I did it. And, and you know, when you start off with worship, and then you end, uh, end up in confession, that's a great flow. It fits the acts model that we teach around here, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Nehemiah is doing this exactly the same. Okay, God, I'm going to worship you and claim who you are, then I'm going to step into a sense of confession to say, God, start with me first. Start with me first. Third thing he does then, after he confesses, is he claims God's promises. He claims God's promises. He replaces discouragement with confidence. Discouragement with confidence. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, through your uh, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. I love verse 8. It starts out with remember. Remember, God, who you are. You know, we did that with the yes and amen. We, we, we sang about the promises. If you missed that opening song or the second song that we sang, that means you were really late today, all right? All right? But 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 that got us into a place of saying, God, your promises in Christ are yes and amen. We've already been saying that. We've already said that's our sense of worship, and we come with a sense of confession. Now we grab onto those promises that God has done for us. And you know what? Why does Nehemiah do this? It, it's not because you know he, he thinks that God has a short memory problem. And God, you remember who you are? No, it's to assure himself. It's to remind himself of God's promises towards us. A lot of biblical personalities do that. Abraham did that often. David did that often. The prophets did that often. Uh, Jonah would do that. Do you remember the story of Jonah where God says, go to Nineveh? He says, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going just the opposite way. Eventually he goes to Nineveh. He calls the Ninevites out. He tries to get them to repent. Really, though, in his heart he doesn't want to because he doesn't like them. And God opens a door for repentance for them. They do repent. And Remember what Jonah said? He said i knew you were gracious and compassionate i knew you were slow to anger and rich in love kind of a backhanded compliment of saying god i know your promises are going to work i just had a bad attitude i didn't want them to be forgiven wow but there it is he claims god's promises as well I hope you'll start to grab onto some of those over the course of this prayer series, over the readings that you have and the books and the other resources and scripture that we have before you. Because God cannot go against his promises. God follows through with his promises. And when you pray those back to him, that replaces discouragement with confidence. In fact, let me read you the story. Um, you can see that uh, I'm not going to finish this message. This is actually a two-part message for what's going to be on the back, but let me walk you through something here first, um, a story that I hope will give you a little bit of confidence. It's a true story by Helen Rosebeer, a missionary to Northern Ireland who labored in Africa. Um, Here's what she writes in her book, Living Faith, classic story. She, She writes, One night I worked hard to help a mother who was in labor, but after doing so, I could do no more, and she passed away leaving a tiny baby who had just been born. We knew we would have trouble keeping the baby alive because we had no incubator to keep the baby warm. Well, one student midwife went to stoke a fire and fill up a hot water bottle, came back shortly afterwards and said, I'm sorry, but the hot water bottle burst, and it's our last one. All right, said Helen, put the baby as near to the fire as you safely can, and then sleep between her and the doorway to keep the draft from coming to harm this little baby. Your job is to keep the baby warm. Well, the following noon, Helen writes that she went to prayer with the orphanage children. And uh, during the prayer time, one little 10-year-old girl by the name of Ruth prayed this prayer. Please, God, send us a hot water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow, as the baby will be dead. Would you send it to us this afternoon? Helen writes, "Why I heard that, I gasped at the audacity of the prayer and she added on top of that, and while you're at it, would you also send a dolly for the little girl so that she'll know that you really love her. As often uh, with children's prayers, Helen writes, I was put on the spot. How could I honestly say amen to that? I, I didn't believe God would do that. I knew he could do it. The Bible says that, but aren't there limits? She said, well, by the time I reached home, out on the veranda was a 22-pound box. I sent for the orphanage children. I couldn't open it alone. And as 30 or 40 pairs of eyes peered in, we looked in the package that had just been delivered. She writes on top were some nicely knitted jerseys. Then there were some bandages for the leprosy patients. And then as the children were getting a little bit bored, they found some mixed raisins in it. And as I dug for more, I felt, could it be? I felt and reached up and gasped and pulled out a brand new rubber hot water bottle. She says, I cried. I hadn't asked God to send it. I hadn't truly believed that he could send it. Then little Ruth, the little girl who prayed for it, came running and said, if God sent the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. And rummaging down the box, she pulled out a small, beautifully dressed dolly. Her eyes shone brightly. She never. Helen writes, isn't it great how we have a God who has promised to take care of our needs and sometimes throws in a want or two? You know, God's promises are so true. And I'm not saying that you pray for something and it's going to be answered just exactly like that. It could be, though. But we do know we have a God who will answer in his timing and in his way. And will do it with what is best for you, what is best for me. In fact, I see the time is out, but let me give you one more verse, verse 11. We'll go over this a little bit more next week. Nehemiah ends this part of the prayer by saying, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy. In the sight of this man, he's praying for success. And what my prayer is, is that you also would do the same. On that little prayer card, that you would be filling something out and you would say, God, according to your will, I'm praying this in your name. And what I encourage you to do is to take that prayer card, to come on down here to the front, if you would. We'll be praying together. We were going to have some prayer warriors who will be down here as well. I'll be down here to pray for you. You can come down during the last song. And we'll just pray, be on your knees, you can stand, whatever you might like to do, but we'll come to a place of saying, God, we want to pray to you. And after the service, if you want to go pray in the chapel, that is going to be open as well, but then on your way out, if you can take that prayer card and pin it on the walls, say, God, we're praying for these things, we're praying for them, we want to see your answers. Now, you'll notice that these light bulbs are not on today. Here's what we're going to do. As you see answers in the next month, we'll lead you in the worship time, but we'll allow you to come up, and as you do, we'll allow you to twist the light bulb on. They're not on, they're untwisted, and we'll allow you to turn the light bulb on as a sign of God answers prayer. And by the end of this series, my prayer is that that entire board would be lit up because we know, we know God answers. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your goodness. Even as we've seen Nehemiah moved, even as we've seen him, his heart broken for what breaks yours, God, we come to you with the same concerns. We come to you with marriages broken. We come to you with relationships need to be restored. We come to you with addictions that have ruined our lives. We come to you with uh, neighbors and friends, even ourselves, health concerns that we've gone through. And so, Lord, we come to you in a spirit of prayer. We come to you in a spirit that says, God, we are, we are broken, we are humbled, we are powerless to do it on our own. And so we only do it in your name. Lord, there may be some things that you want us to do when we leave this place, but we won't do them until we prayed. We won't take those steps until we have come before you and before we prayed. And so we pour out our hearts. We pour out our lives. We come before you even now. Lord, thank you for a time of worship and praise. Thank you for a time to get our focus back up on you. Thank you for being a God who answers. We pray faithfully. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.